Well, today we're going to have the Word of God first, and then we're going to do worship right after the Word of God. Mike shared two weeks ago and didn't get to finish this last Sunday, and Mike was talking about discipleship. He was talking about how we have had a fostering mentality in the body of Christ rather than an adoption mentality, and how we need to uh, adopt rather than foster in the area of um, the Word of God and how we need to disciple people. So, are you guys ready to allow Mike to finish that word? Everybody welcome Michael Philip Michael Brown to the house. Father, I thank you for Mike, and Lord, I pray that you would anoint him with passion. And God, help him just to reveal the things that you've put in his heart concerning discipleship and how we must surrender self, get rid of selfishness, and yield to adopting and yield to what you're wanting to do in our hearts. So today, God, may your word just come alive in all of our hearts. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. And we just bless Michael in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Bless you, brother. I'll do offering before the worship, so I didn't forget that, so hang in with us. Oh, flip 180. If you have... Uh, fifth and seventh grade fifth through seventh grade if you have a child that wants to go hang out with those guys it's a blast you can be released right now and go check check is this on can you hear me <clears throat> all right one thing i'm going to ask to do before you we uh really get going here if you are under the age of um 19 that's not you ashley go over i would like for you for, for this part of the service to please go over here and sit in the youth section. You're going to be a uh, visual aid for me. So please help me out with that. Even if you're shy, even if you're new, I promise you, they do not bite. I won't embarrass them. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and, you know, all that stuff. While they're doing that, um, I want to uh, just briefly, really quick, tag on to... Um, this sex has a price tag. All right? Now, I am talking about discipleship. I am talking about fostering versus adoption. But sex should be taught in the home, and parents should be discipling their kids through that. Amen? Amen? Now, what's happened is that's not happened, so school has done it. And then because school takes a worldly view of it, and the church has been afraid of it, and we don't know what the Bible says about it because we've not fallen in love with the Word. We've not used it in its proper way and, and used the tool that which sex is and discipled our children with it. That's why we have a foster care system. All right? Imagine a world with no foster care system. It could go all the way back to the fact that we disciple our children in the area of sex. Correct? Because if it was kept in the confines of what uh, God originally said between husband and wife, and if husband and wife used it and discipled their children with it, we would have no foster care system. Because men would be fathers, men would be husbands, women would be mothers. Correct? So I'm doing this to help cast vision of why we have Pam Stenzel coming in, why we're going community-wide as a church to even bring this out. So we are, we are not afraid of it. 
And we have to help people and disciple people. All these people over here need to understand what sex really is. And guess what? You guys, myself included, need to totally understand what sex really is. So I'm going to read some scripture here to help cast the vision of why we are doing this. Is that okay? Now, I don't advise reading the message version for everything. But however, it does put some things into perspective to today's vernacular. Did you like that? Vernacular. I used a big word. Okay. Um, Is there anybody in here under 14? Okay. I don't see anybody. Because I'm going to read it just how it states because it really does put it into perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through... um, I don't... The message version doesn't do good with verses. So I'm going to start with chapter first, chapter 6, verse 14, and I'm going to read verses 14 all the way through. And then we're just going to leave it and sit, and I'm going to believe that God's Word is going to marinate on your heart because the Word is a better teacher and preacher than what I could ever be. Correct? God's Word is powerful. God's Word is living. God's Word is a seed. So before I read this, I am going to pray over this and and the whole rest of the service so that you receive the message and you get past the messenger. So we actually let the power of God, of the living word, set and resonate in our hearts. And I love what Shelly, she uh, helped out with the camp this week, how she said that we're even going to pray that the ravens do not come and steal the seeds that are placed upon the heart. Okay? So, uh, Daddy God, we just love you and thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of our sins and the power of your blood and for the life that you lived, God, Jesus. We thank you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you move in power in wisdom and strength uh, and that there's no condemnation in this room, that it just leaves and it breathes out of this place, but that your conviction falls upon us, including myself, and that we would use conviction to bring us towards you so we can disciple our wives and our families the way that we should, and we can disciple others, and we can even disciple in every aspect of life, and that we will stop fostering, but that we will adopt spiritual children. Amen. All right, so here I'm going to read it straight how it says. If I offend you with one or two of the words, please come see me later and, and address me, please. Let's not talk about everybody. Let's not go talk and say, Mike said this or that. What's the word say? It says, if your brother has offended you, go strictly to him. All right, so you now have an open form that if you get offended by what I read from God's word, you can come see me and then we'll talk about it. It says, God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. Where are we at in this day and age? That is where we are at. 
There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-molded love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. And I can feel the heaviness in the room. We need to let that sit and marinate. Because we are God's masterpiece. You God's masterpiece. You are a fine piece of china. Everyone in here is a fine piece of china. And God put specific thought into each and every one of you. And his hands touched each and every one of you. While you were in the belly of your mother. So God bless this word. So we definitely need to do a better job at discipling our children. And we need to not foster even our own children. We need to not even foster people within this room. As I, as I preach and speak today, I'm going to speak directly to us, to New Covenant uh, Worship Center. Yes, we are a part of the body of Christ. Uh, I've been convicted of even sharing when I'm at different places that we, we try to generalize. Well, the whole body, well, we're here. This is to us. This is to me. This is to all of you. Now, before we get into, I'm going to recap on what I preached on two weeks ago, and then I'm going to go foot farther, and I'm going to give you some stats. I'm going to give you some reasons, and hopefully give you some um, examples and some things that you can do so you know how to start discipling. Because wherever you are at right now, today, you really need to make a decision. Are you going to start discipling your own family, even though it's hard? And are you going to start discipling someone else? It's not either or, it's both and. Because somewhere down the chain, somewhere in this room, somebody is farther along than you, and somebody is not as far along as you. So you can reach behind you and help lead the person and disciple them while someone is discipling you. And then alongside is your family. So I'm going to have them. Are you ready to play this little song? Okay. I want you to listen to the words of this because it really speaks to about the Father's heart and can really minister to you about adoption. Will you adopt or will you foster? Go ahead. Now you may even wonder what in the world, unless you can pick up on it, what does that have to do with discipleship? What does that have to do with fostering versus adoption? Um, Eric, come here. Um, and I'd ask Tom to come here, but he's in the back. Uh, 
as my spiritual fathers. They knew what they were getting into. A mess. But they chose. They said, I still love you. Did you catch the part where they said, I knew what I was getting into, but I still like you. I chose you. Yes, that is the Father speaking to us. But yet, they seen and they chose and they decided to work through what was hard. I choose you, Mike Brown. I like you, Mike Brown. I love you, Mike Brown. I'm going to get through this, Mike Brown. I will. They see the sin. There's a part in that where it says, I can see your sin. And I can see your brokenness. But yet these men still said, I see what's in there. And I'm going to father you. And I'm going to raise you. I'm going to put effort. They said, I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to only foster you because I get something out of it. But I'm going to call you. That's discipleship. That's the tough stuff. And I love you. Bless you. And he will always be my spiritual father. Always. Tom, I don't know how I got two, but I got two spiritual fathers. Now, it might not have. I'm a lot. <laughs> I'm the spiritual version of my two dads, I guess. <laughs> and mine and Tom started out different, but yet it ended up where Tom is a spiritual father. Where I have one on my right and I have one on my left. We're going to get into that. Can we just hang out here for a minute? If, uh, I think I said it just a few minutes ago, but today really can be a point in your life where you make a decision. A, a hard decision, one that if you decide to make it, you also have to choose today not to go back. This area of discipleship and adopting other young men and women 
in the kingdom is not just happening here. I've been at a camp this week where that's what they spoke about. They talked about in individual counseling groups with young men and women. You need to be discipled. In my counseling group, there were six men, six young men. Only one of them had a mentor or a discipler that was pouring into them. But this person also had a discipler himself. I don't know what it was like in the other groups, but it's probably a pretty safe assumption. One out of six, what percentage is that? Like 15%, something like that, 14, 15%. So if you look at, there's probably only 14 or 15% of the people in this room being discipled. And I'm going to be bold enough to say, if you're not discipling anybody, you cannot no longer use the excuse that you don't have time, that you're not a youth pastor, that you're not anything else. There's several lies we went over last week. You have to decide today, are you going to put some effort into it? Because everyone in here puts effort into something. We put effort into what we want to do. All right? If we want to watch different TV shows, if we want to get on Facebook for four hours a day, if we want to read Fifty Shades of Grey, if we want to do all these other little things that even tie into what Tom talked about, the little foxes that are getting in. All right, the little foxes have gotten in and placed cataracts on our spiritual eyes. And so these cataracts over our spiritual eyes are clouding our view and we're not really truly seeing the glory of God because we're not discipling, we're not raising up disciples to show another facet of the glory of God. That's the whole purpose of raising up disciples. That's part of the purpose. Is so you only see one side or facet of, of the glory of God in me. And you only see one side of it in Eric. The whole purpose of having kids in the first place, in the very beginning where, where God said, be fruitful and multiply, wasn't just that. Just go have kids because you don't have nothing else better to do. Same way with discipleship. It's not just because you have nothing else better to do. I just want you to disciple people and send them out and do stuff. The whole purpose is so the whole world, so nations can be filled with the glory of God. It has nothing to do with you or your kids. It's really all about God. Do you want Newcastle, Indiana, the, the United States of America, Russia, Kalmykia, Mexico, Honduras, India, Africa, do you want them to see a side of the glory of God? Do you? Yes, do you? Alex does. Do you want them to see, yes, you, I don't even know your name, but that's a brave statement, my friend, to raise your hand and say, I'm, I want people to see a different side of the glory of God. And you are responsible for that. If you are not raising up spiritual sons and daughters, you are depriving the world of a side of God that they might not see from somebody else. Because there's a side in Alex that only Alex can show. There's a side in Connie that only Connie can show. There's a side in John that only John can show. And if you're not raising these people up and your own kids and your wife and wives, your children and other women, you are, you are, you are thank you, you are depriving the world of another facet of the glory of God. And you will be held responsible. See, that's, that's a part we don't, we don't speak on when we think of grace and holiness and when we come to face God. You will, it, the Word says you will be accountable for all your actions. 
you will also be accountable for all the things you did not do that you should have. So you will be held accountable at some point, and when you get in front of heaven, where God says, well, Mike, uh, how come you didn't disciple so-and-so, or at least put some effort into it? Oh, well, I didn't have enough time, God. Oh, really? I can just see him. Oh, he's like, look, Mike, wait, I'm going to show you. And he shows this movie screen. He's like, you see all that time on Facebook? And, yeah, six hours watching Andy Griffith and lying on the couch for four hours watching Bachelor and Bachelorette with your wife and all this stuff. Really, we don't have time? You have time. You are believing a lie. All right? Who is the greatest discipler of this age? Nope. He should be. Who is the greatest discipler of this day and age? Television. Now, this might step on some of your toes, and I'm going to get into some scripture. But I got really convicted Saturday morning when I heard another youth pastor just briefly touch on this. And it ties in with the little foxes, our eye gates, the spiritual cataracts. What are you allowing your eyes and your ears to see in here? What did I talk about two weeks ago? It's not the fact that you are discipling or you're not because you are. Who are you discipling for? God's kingdom or the enemy? Your actions speak louder than your words. If you spend four hours in the evening laying on the couch watching uh, Game of Thrones, Big Brother, uh, Bachelorette, The Bachelor, uh, Two and a Half Men, all this stuff. I'm not telling you that, I'm not dictating what you watch. But however, how many times have you watched these shows and said, Oh, uh, son or daughter, you need to go off to your room, watch TV. Oh, this is big boy stuff. This is big, this is, this is big people shows. You can't watch this. We're really allowing five to eight seconds of nudity into our home. Words that we wouldn't allow. Sex being on TV. And we're allowing our kids to see this. And we're watching it. But yet we think we're unaffected. You're lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself. And I'm lying to myself. I hate. My wife knows this. I hate The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I hate it. All right? Do you really... This is how we're discipling our, our young men and women. That it's okay to date 25 men or women in the, in the area of three to four months. Kiss and make out with them. Pet, be half naked. Go get drunk. Drink wine. Have sex. All the, 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 the loan suite, whatever it is. You know what they're doing in there. But yet we're allowing our kids and ourselves to see this and we think it's okay. So this is how we disciple our own kids and how to find a mate. Oh, just go date 25 people. It's okay. And you can kiss them. Hello, if you're a guy, how, if you kiss your wife, how hard is it to just stop kissing your wife? But yet you're telling your teenage son that it's okay to go out. And if this week you're dating Marianne and next week you're dating Jane and whoever else, that you can just kiss them and, you know, pet on them a little bit and that's okay. You know where they're seeing and hearing that? From all the shows. The discipler of the TV. Give me some, uh, let's take it a step further. I didn't know this is really where this was going to go, but we're going to go with it. Give me, a, give me an artist of today, Tyler. Secular. Yes, music. Who? Give me somebody else. Give me a rapper. 
Hoodie Allen, Little Wayne. Give me one, Kyle. Mac, who? Mac Miller. Give me another one. Eminem. JC. T Pain. Hey, Little Wayne. Who else we got? Anybody? Little John. Katy Perry. Miley Cyrus. Sweet little Hannah Montana. Thank you. Who? Mac Lamore. Mac Lamore. Guess what? When you send your kids away so you can watch what you want to watch and spend time, quality time, in front of the TV watching these TV shows, you're sending your kids away. You know what my kids do that, I'm, that I've got to figure out how. If this is the TV, no, let's do this. Here's the TV. You know where my kids are at? And I have to watch them. Hey, you need to scoot back. And it's up loud, okay, loud. That is time spent that you could be like, look, let's just turn the TV off. I'm going to disciple you. Let me read you something in the Word. Or you don't even have to read the Word if you don't want to, but you should. What about, what's God been speaking to you today? Oh, well, nothing. Okay, well, let's get quiet. Let's see what he has to say. What do you think God has to say? You, my daughter, she, we try to monitor what she listens to. Okay, so she listens to some of the Disney stuff. Some of it's okay, some of it's not. Because still, if you listen closely, these 13 and 14-year-old girls are talking about heartbreak. He stole my heart. He's my soulmate. I want to be with him. He looks so good. All right? It's discipling our children. Okay? And it's going to... It's, oh, but there's nothing wrong with that, Mike. Really? What's the next step? We're blinded. Because we're not discipling and our own kids are being discipled by these people. Do you really want your kid discipled by Miley Cyrus or Little Wayne? Oh, but they're a Christian. They say they are. They wear the cross on their neck. Really? They say that they're Christians, but most of their music has got all this cussing and whatnot. Do, you, do they really need to express themselves that way as a Christian? Because we're not discipling, we've even watered down that word. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody's a believer. Well, you might be a believer, but guess what? You'll get to heaven and you'll look at God and, he'll, and you'll even say, how many believers are prophesying and, and they're up here, pray, people in this church, up here praying for people, falling out in the spirit, praise Jesus, amen, doing all this stuff that when they get to heaven are going to say, well, God, I prophesied and I seen people healed and I laid hands on them and I fed the sick and I went to the needy and he's going to go, who are you? That's not enough. This has messed my world up because I do all of these things, but yet it's not, that's not where it's at. I've had to take inventory of my own life because I'm selfish. And that's why we do this stuff. You're selfish. We want what we want because we want to feel good. Because we need to take a break. I need to decompress. So where do we go? Big brother. Really? We need to go to the Word because this is what I'm in love with. We spend so less time talking about what's in here and 80% of our time talking about, well, this guy on Big Brother did this and can you believe they took him out and this guy on Big Brother, he's related to her and this and that. Really? Now, you can go home and you can be mad and say, Mike Brown told me that I shouldn't watch TV, that it's a sin. That's what I did not say that. What I am saying is you seriously need to take inventory what you are letting into your house. All right? And you seriously need to take in and listen to what's coming into here.
And are you going to not be selfish? Because I'm selfish. I thought I was a pretty unselfish person. And over the past few months, as I've went to Russia, and people have served me, and I've seen the body of Christ in a bigger way, and I've realized how selfish I am. How these people, I'm telling you, and it, it's a weird feeling to sit at a table and have these people, old and young alike, walk into a room, big table, serve you food. You not even have to lift your cup, and they're filling your cup up, bringing stuff in. Then you say, well, why don't you stay in here? And they're like, no, we're not. And they go out, and they're out in another room totally eating. And if you even start to say something, they're running in because they want to serve you. When's the last time we did something like that? I don't even serve my wife that way. Exactly, you're right. How many of you wives serve your husband that way? It goes both ways. I'm selfish. Me and my wife the past two weeks have had the privilege of working with two different camps. And she was a... Uh, with a special needs camp. You want to see how selfish you are, go to a special needs camp. Go to Victory Lane Camp in October. Sacrifice your time. And you will see how blessed you are to have healthy children. And to see the unselfishness of people who literally have to give their life to one or two or three totally disabled people. I know one girl who I'm friends with who I knew... Her brother, the brother and, and, the, and the wife had a kid that is mentally challenged. And they're in and out of drugs, their own selfishness because they couldn't get away. They couldn't break free. And this, this, this young lady who said, I've prayed to God to have a husband. I've prayed to God to have a family. And I'm spitting. I've prayed for all this. And now here I am. I'm adopting my son's child and I'm raising him. She has no husband. She lives by herself. And she's the mother to this little kid. Raising him and discipling him because somebody else is too selfish to do it. Their own parents. And he is hard, but he is sweet. Go and see how there are unselfish people in this place. And you will see and agree that you are selfish. I'm not trying to come across critical because I'm preaching to myself. I am still very selfish in what I want. I deserve. I'm entitled. I work 10 hours a day. I'm entitled to come home and sit to a hot meal and sit on the couch or lay down and prop my feet up and watch TV for three hours. Really? God's grace is good and His holiness is amazing and He is beautiful to look at, but you are not entitled to anything. I am not entitled to anything. Everything I've got is just an extra overflow from the Father's heart because I love Him and He loves me and He didn't give up on me. And so we're supposed to be another version of that. We're supposed to disciple people and raise them up. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Do you have time? Yes. But will you take the time? Will you decide today, Sunday, July, is it 27th or 28th? Whatever it is, 27th, I believe. On July 27th, 2014, on a Sunday, I decided that I'm going to really be for sure all in. I'm not going to be just about me. I'm not going to come to church on Sunday just so I can feel good and praise Jesus and then go out Monday through Saturday and forget about it. 
Anybody know how many week or how many hours are in a week? 168. How many hours you spend in church? If you're at New Covenant, you spend more than the average. <laughs> and I'm asking you, I'm going to be wrapping up here hopefully pretty quick and we're going to worship. I'm asking you not to leave, but to stay. Set an example. Because we think 12 o'clock rolls around, we got to get out. Because I need a nap, I need my meal, I need to do this, I need to get in line before somebody else does. Because I don't want to sit and be, uh, um, what's the word? I don't want to be inconvenienced at a restaurant for two hours because somebody else gets served before I do or they mess up my meal. Okay? Let's stay, let's really stay in the presence of the Lord. But you spend... We've been here since 10. It's 11.11 now. If we get out of here at 1, which sometimes happens, a lot of the times, that's three hours. You have still not spent 2% of your week in the presence of the Lord here. All right? Now, how much time do you spend throughout the rest of the week? Most of us, and even my version of spending time with the Lord is, Getting up early, 10, 15 minutes in the Word, and then I'm on my way. I was in the Word today. I read. I was there. Okay, so 15 minutes a day at four days, that's one hour. You got three, you got three more left. So there's an hour and 45 minutes with your other three hours at church. So now you're at four hours and 45 minutes, almost five. You're still not at 4% of your weekly time in the word, in the presence of God. Now, if you spend four hours a night, which most of us do, and I know most of you do because I am on Facebook, as well as the rest of you, including myself, four hours a night times, especially now the football's coming on, Monday night football, Thursday night football, Sunday afternoon football, Sunday night football. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, awesome, great. I love it. Now, you can use those as tools for discipleship, and I'll get to that. Those can be tools if you will allow them to and not let them get in the way. All right? And I'm not just saying that because I love football. <laughs> All right, but four hours a day, four times seven, 714, that's 28 hours a week compared to your four hours a week. That's not even 4% of your time of the 168 hours. Who's getting more of your time? Is work important? Yes, but some of you are retired. Some of you have work that you can do from home at different times. Some of us, like me and Ernie and Chris Hansen and, 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 and Nathan and some other people in here who do carpentry work, you've got time that not only can you work, but you can also bring alongside some people. We have time. All right. Now, where I'm at in all this is I'm trying to figure out how to steward my time. Because even though I showed you who I was trying to disciple, who said yes, it's not all perfect. It's not all worked out because I'm still selfish. So I'm trying to figure out how do I... Uh, I'm doing a halfway decent job with my wife and my kids. Halfway. Because I could do a whole lot better. If I was doing a whole lot better, my kids wouldn't be sitting, you know, three feet in front of the TV... You know, watching Doc McStuffins and Jesse and all those shows, you know. And I've, I've, I watched some of them with them. Girl Meets World. Yeah. 
All right? I was a big Boy Meets World fan. Anyway, but you can use those things. You, there's, there's tools you can use even online to Google and see what other people have watched and how they rate it. And you can start making a decision now, even though it's going to be hard with some of these teenagers. You can give them a choice. However, they still live in your home. All right? So you can apply some pressure and choices to the music they listen to inside your house. Am I wrong? You just got to be um, proactive. You can't be lazy. You have to put some effort into it. It's going to be hard. They're going to say, but I've listened to it for so long now. Why can't I now? Because Mike said you had to stop me. You're going to hear that. And you guys, I know because I've heard it before. All right? But you're going to have to make a decision today. All right? Because as, as much as we try to look and say, all right, man, the kingdom is advancing forcefully and forceful men, violent men, go and grab a hold of it. Guess who else is advancing? The kingdom of darkness. And it's advancing quicker and quicker and quicker and faster and faster and faster at a young generation and at our generation. And we got to put some effort in to stop it. We cannot be selfish. All right, let's, let's hit a few scriptures because the Word does a much better job. And we're going we're gonna to move along here and I'm going to wrap this thing up. Are you guys tracking with me? Did you guys uh, do your homework? If you did your homework, raise your hand. <laughs> oh, even Pastor Eric and Karen talked about it. I appreciate Donna Robinson, uh, Donna, not Robinson, Richardson. She made a comment on Facebook because I posted it on Facebook. Because, again, I know you're all on there because I am too. All right? What's the first thing I do when I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, Lord, I got a few minutes checking Facebook. What would you do if you decided to, instead of Facebook, go to your Bible on your phone? All right? Oh, I've got 10 minutes. Well, 10 minutes, eight times a day adds up. All right? If you can't get it in all in one block, you've got times where you're just sitting there going, uh, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll read the Word. I want to fall in love with the Word. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to kiss it. I'm going to hug it. I'm going to listen to what it says in there. We have to get in there. And this is one reason why I actually started, I love the, the technology, but I've started going back to my Bible. I was at a meeting and I don't want to get caught up. In just, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17. I don't want to get wrapped up in stuff, but I was touched by the fact that when we went, Tom and Eric and I and Chris and I, maybe somebody else, went and seen a, the vicar of Baghdad. And somehow he was related or had a family member who was discipled, I believe, by Smith Wigglesworth. Is that correct? And he had Smith's Wigglesworth Bible. Now, it's not all about just having that Bible and how cool that would be. But how many of you write notes in your Bible? Circle things, put stuff, highlight, mark, fold. All right? I'm sure there's tears in that Bible. There's tears in my Bible. There's prayers over my Bible as I read things. And I'm like, God, help me be and do what this says. There's something that if, 
if the world, if the enemy uh, is into things and books and different things and passing it on, and you can feel some evil stuff on some things, there's a holiness and anointing on God's word. I want my kids to have my Bible and see that it's marked and see that I wrote down things and God spoke to me at this and they open it up and they're like, oh, I feel the anointing. My dad was at this page when he was reading on how to be a godly man. And my son reads it and he sees the notes and he sees my struggles and he sees that. But I know that God helped him because I didn't see this in my dad, but I seen the good side. But this is the battle. This is the plan my dad used to get out of the junk, to be who he was supposed to be. My daughter's to read my Bible and see, see different issues of, of, of purity and where it talks about sex and what a woman should do in her marriage and what a man should do and what she should expect. It needs to be in there and it needs to be passed on. How many of you have, got more, have had more than one phone that you've dropped, it's busted, it's broke? How are you going to pass that on? Technology's always changing. How can you be assured that what you've noted in your iPad or your iPhone or your smartphone is going to be there in two years to pass on? Man, get in this and love it so your kids have something to go back and look to. Um, I've got notes in here from cards and, and connect groups where we prayed for people and we wrote down people's names. And uh, I've got two people's names down here where I've, uh, you know, prayed for them. You know, people need to see, my kids need to see that I prayed for people and that they were important enough to write their name down. See, this can be a, this and passing on as a discipleship tool. Now hopefully the sales of Bibles will go up if you don't have one. Or at least you'll break yours back out and you'll start using it. Here's what 1 Corinthians 4 verses 14 through 17 say. It says, I am not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved, warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. But I become your father in Christ Jesus when I preach the good news to you. So I ask you to follow my example and do as I do. Let's go to Deuteronomy. <laughs> Thank you. Deuteronomy sit. Deuteronomy. You know, I'm, I'm going to start, see, we, we, we're getting all this seriousness, and then we laugh, that's good, because it's sugar to help the medicine go down a little bit. I figured that out Thursday when I, when I was preaching to like 70 young kids, that there's this seriousness in the room and the pressure, and then something happened, we'd all laugh. And the tendency is to be like, that's not funny. We don't need to laugh. It's all this seriousness and all this stuff we need to get. But it's medicine, and we need some sugar to help us to be able to swallow it and take it in and be like, I've got it in my body. It's, that ain't so bad. The word is medicine. All right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat. 
them again and again to your children, his commands. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away on a journey, when you are lying down and when you are getting up again. Tie them to your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, I want to go down to the very bottom. I want to read um, verses 22 to the end of the chapter. It says, Before your eyes the Lord did miraculous signs and wonders, dealing terrific blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all of his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us the land he had solemnly promised to give your ancestors. And the Lord your God commanded us to obey all these laws and to fear him for our own prosperity and well-being, as is now the case. I have, there's two verses I've really dwelt on. Verse 8 and uh, verse 24 that has really stood out that I'm marinating in, that I'm getting into, that I'm digging into. Do you realize what the Lord has showed me is that my own prosperity and well-being, health, everything, all depends on whether or not, this is for me. I believe it's for many of you, but what the Lord has showed me in this scripture is discipleship, which is basically what the Lord is saying. Disciple your children in my ways. Tell them there's not, not just in church, when you're away on a journey or on vacation, when you're just at home, when you're lying around doing nothing, when you're playing at the park, when you're at the swimming pool, when you're working, in everyday life, tell them, and as we discipleship, it says down here in the, in the last verse, it says, God commanded us to obey all these laws and to fear Him. We are not discipling anybody to fear the Lord. If we did, we would not be letting these little things get into our eyes and into our ears, and we would be at a whole different place. There's not a fear and a reverence of who God is. If He was, we would be discipling and raising a generation up We've got generations that are in schools that are bucking authority because they don't fear authority, because their parents don't fear the main authority, which is God himself. It's not the teacher's fault. It's not the system's fault. It's our fault. But how many of you want to be prosperous? I want good well-being. I want health. What's it say? Obey these laws and fear him. Now, this is at the end of after he said, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to what I'm giving you and repeat them. Disciple your children in all these ways. See, we want to look at that and say, oh, all I've got to do is obey, obey God and, and uh, fear him and all this stuff's going to happen to me. He just laid out several verses before you of a map of how to make that happen. But yet we think, man, I need to, I need to have all this money come in and my job needs to be perfect and I need to do this before I start. To disciple someone. But yet this says, if you do it, then the benefits come. It's not an entitlement. You shouldn't do it for solely this purpose. But I'm telling you, if you will apply yourself and give yourself wholeheartedly to this discipleship, you're going to see some benefits come. All right? Now, I looked into tying them around your hands and on your forehead. The problem today, even within here, is not that we don't hear the word. We don't hear about, we hear about discipleship. We know about it, but when we walk out the door, we forget. All right, the issue with tying stuff around your hands, if you come up here and I say, Grandma Leela, I'm going to give you this bracelet. I'm going to put it around your hand and I'm going to don't ever take it off. 
you're, if I did that right now and did it to you every time you looked at that, you'd think, Mike Brown gave me that. And why did he? Oh, I remember he was preaching on discipleship and how I need to find somebody to disciple uh, because I'm not too old. I've still got plenty of time. I've got something to give. And you would think about that every time you've seen it, right? There was this issue. What, what was happening at this time is Moses was actually referring to what Pharaoh was doing. Pharaoh was taking strings and bracelets and having them tied around people's arms and like headbands around the forehead so that they would keep away evil spirits so it would protect them from evil. Well, it's not going to protect you from evil if I give you a bracelet and say, Alex, I'm discipling you. And guess what? You're going to remember because here's this bracelet and it says disciple on it. So every time you look at it, you're going to think about me. Even if you're not wearing it, you're going to see it and think, Mike Brown gave me that and he said he was discipling me. And, blah, blah. and it's all going to come back. It's tied to something. There's a reason why everything is in the word. It's not in there just to blow over. All right? So, so they knew that when, when Moses spoke of this, they went back and they thought, oh, yeah, Pharaoh was having us tie stuff around to try to protect us from evil spirits and blah, blah, blah. So really what we need to do is take what the devil was using for evil and use it for good. So he was telling them to take this, take a bracelet. Remember, put it around their hand. If you're, you're kids, what about, we would talk about purity rings, discipleship, about sex, let's save ourselves till marriage. If you give your kid a purity ring, you think they're, and they look at that, it's a reminder. It's on their hand. Oh, they start to get in a situation and they're like, oh, wait, my dad gave me this purity ring. And I remember the time that he, was, he spent discipling me about how to keep myself pure for my wife or my husband and that I'm a china plate only for him or only for her. And he discipled me and, and he gave me something to remember. I need to save myself. This, this guy is not my husband. You're a great friend. I'll see you later. Bye. All right? Now you do with that as you wish and how you feel led. But what I'm going to do for the people that I'm discipling is I've already decided I'm getting some bracelets. Not just a cheap look, because I thought, well, even for the message, I can just get some cheap little friendship bracelets and call them up here. No. This is important stuff. They need to have something around their wrist that reminds them of everything that's in the world that I try to teach and lead and show, even though I ain't got it perfect. Like me and Dre talked about a, a couple weeks ago when I called him. We're talking about discipleship and what's this mean. And I had to ask him, Dre, what, why do you see our relationship? Because if he don't see, see it as a, as a type of discipleship then or being intentional, which is what we said, and come to find out two weeks earlier, he's like, or a few days earlier, he's like, God's telling me, I need to be intentional with my relationships. I need to be intentional. I need to be purposeful. There's a reason. Don't be afraid to ask somebody. How is our... Do you see me as a spiritual son? Oh, well, no, not really. Okay, hey, that's great. Talk about it. Communicate. I know this guy sees me as a spiritual son, and he's my spiritual dad. Tom's the same way. But we've talked about it. There's been open communication. You just can't, oh, I'm going to go, and I'm going to disciple Marcus. Hey, Marcus, you're gonna, I'm going to disciple you, and we're just going to work it all out. Awesome. Uh, well, hey, look, see. <laughs> all right? But see, I know him, so I can say something like that, but he's already been watching my life, and I've been watching him. All right? 
But you have to talk about it. You have to communicate. Because Mike might not want to be discipled by me. I'm okay with that. You want to know, me and Tom talked about this. And I hope you take this the right way. Here's what happens. Somebody's up here preaching. And they preach for two or three weeks. Guess what? They're the superstar and everybody wants them to pour into their life. Fifteen people come up. Hey, Tom, will you do this? Eric, will you do this? Hey, Mike, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? Look, I'm going to tell some of you no. And you cannot be offended because I am not to disciple some of you. And some of you, maybe I am, but at a later time because I'm telling you, I got a full plate. And maybe I need to figure out something with Marcus. I don't know. But God's going to give me the answer and the ability to be able to come up with a plan. Because I bet if I don't watch Big Brother and I don't watch... Uh, Look, yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I stop watching The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and I spend some more time with my kids. Where's Ash, Ashley? I can, I can never remember your name. Shook. She came up here and asked me about her own daughters. And I'm like, well, yes, but I need to figure out how it works here and how I can include her girls from time to time because they don't know me, but they need relationships. All right, you have to sometimes, discipleship starts as relationship. All right, and that doesn't mean, all right, me and Marcus, we're going to go hang out, sit at Arby's, and then automatically, bam, jump into the Word. You don't have to do that. You can live it before the person, build the relationship, because I guarantee you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to live it, they're going to see it, and you're not even going to have to ask. They're going to be like, man, why do you do this and this? And, and this is different about you. And your kids don't do this or that or your wife. And you're going to be, do you really want to know? Write that down. If you're going to, dis you're going to disciple someone, always say when they ask you a question, do you really want to know? Because if they don't, say, okay, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. This was, this didn't go really where... Are you getting the message, though? All right. I was, I was discipled and am by Tom and Eric. And you guys can get ready. The worship team can get ready. Come on up here. They've discipled me. It's still working its way out. I'm still trying to figure it out with Dre and with Joel. And, and, and it's, it's not perfect with my wife and my kids, but we're getting it. We're figuring it out. I'm figuring out I'm selfish. So it's got to come out of me. All right. If you want to take some notes real quick, I'm going to give you some basic things of what you can do. And this really just came from the word that we just read. If, I, I encourage you to read Deuter, Deuteronomy. Whatever it is. All right. Read it. All right. Because it's really telling you. I am going to give you this. Tony, thank you very much. He sent me some st stats. Okay. Uh, just chapter 6. And don't read it like 15 minutes, read it and then be done. Alright? I'm still there. I developed a message from still like, like marinating on this thing of if I obey and I fear, there's well-being and prosperity. Now, I'll take it to another level for you men. You are one with your wife. So your and her well-being are intertwined. If she's sick, and you're not. What could be going on there from your side? She could be feeling the effects of something that's going on. All right? 
That's just a little extra. I'm not telling you if, if your spouse is sick, it's all because of somebody else. But however, I have to look. My wife has got a few little health issues. But we're one. So our well-being is one. So am I doing or allowing something into my eye gate and my ear gate that, it, that could be affecting her physical health? Now, I know that's kind of heavy, and that might make you think, wives, the same thing. There could be some things going on in your husband's well-being that maybe you've allowed into your eye gate or your ear gate. All right? Because we're one. And that just came to me. I want to give you these stats because they're actually stats from adoption. And it actually ties into where we're at spiritually, okay? Adoption can be expensive. That's why we don't do it. You take full responsibility. Foster care just helps. All right? After age five, chance of being adopted drops 80%. Average lifespan of an unadopted orphan worldwide is 23 most orphans, especially in poverty-stricken countries, turn to sex, drugs, or crime as a meaning of survival after the orphanage. Nearly 40,000 children, I see, nearly 40,000 children age out of the system daily, meaning after they're not adopted, so like 18, they're their own citizen. Is that right? Okay. Of those within three years... 10% will commit suicide, 20% will be in prison, and 40% will be homeless. As in the natural sometimes, so is the spiritual. These same stats can go to the spiritual side. If you and we do not foster, or we do not adopt people to disciple, this will happen. Why are teenagers turning to sex, drugs, and rock and roll and suicide? It's because they spiritually have no father. All right? One more minute. If you've got some notes, I'm going to give you... Give you um, how to disciple. Okay? This is, this is from Mike Brown, some things that God has showed me. Create the relationship first. Okay? The relationship is important. Look at Jesus' life. Jesus knew pretty much, or the disciples already knew of him before he said, hey, come follow me. There was a relationship already there. Most of you will try to disciple someone who you have no relationship with first. Build the relationship. It's okay. Because if you're living right, I mean, me and Dre, as we've built the relationship, every time we've got together and talked, we spend two hours talking about, well, what's God doing? What's God saying? What's in the Word? What's this? What's that? That's discipleship. And it just took getting together over at, at Mama Tanya's house for some chicken. And it just, it just happened. Ask the vision and need to the one you are discipling. It's okay to say, look, man, if you just want to meet some time, counseling is not discipling. It is an aspect of discipleship, but it is not discipleship. I'm trying to hurry, Tom. I hear you up there, brother. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for discipling me. Thank you for teaching me to have notes. Share everyday life. Follow me. All right? I include my wife, uh, not my wife so much, but I try to break away for a date every now and then for lunch. But I include my kids sometimes with my work. 
I need to include some of the other people that I'm trying to disciple on my daily route. Joel Haler, over the past several months, he's been included from time to time just on my daily to-do. He just comes and hangs out with me. We talk what's going on in my life, hold me accountable, this, that, and the other. Am I right, Joel? Be in the Word yourself so you can answer questions. So you just don't give a worldly answer. You also give the godly perspective. Be in the Word. Pray together. There's nothing wrong with getting together and saying, Hey man, before we leave, let's just pray. Even if they're unsaved and you're just building a relationship, you can say, Hey man, I know you're getting ready to leave my house, but I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you so you're safe. It don't have to be, you know, bomb shakalaka, all the other stuff, pray for the cat and everything. It can just be, hey man, Jim, I just bless you on the way out. Have a safe trip home and a blessed day tomorrow. Amen. All of you have cell phones. Text them a prayer. Hey man, just have a blessed day. I love you. Stay connected. Use it. Show your weakness. If you're going to disciple, show your weakness. It's a key. You will actually be more respected for revealing and showing your weakness and telling them what you go through than for them to find it out later. Because if they find it out later, they'll be hurt and there'll be a withdrawal made. Do some evangelism together. Serve. All right? You can go to, we've got camps. We've got Feeding the Homeless the third Wednesday of the month over at Open Arms. Chris is working with the house and doing Bible study. You can join that. You've got all kinds, we're, even we're trying to get the youth involved. That's why we're going to the park. Evangelism don't have to be all the time about praying for people. It's serving. You might not think it's handing out hot dogs and water is going to be a big deal. But what if we pray over the hot dogs and that's the one thing that shows somebody that somebody cares. They come to church and they get saved. And if you need some more besides that, I'm reading these faith foundation books that I'm almost done with. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I love to read, but there's great information in them. If you need that tool, when you get through all this stuff, start getting into them. Hey, let's read. Let's go through them. I got this great book. It's an easy read. It's got questions in it. You can go through it throughout you know, a couple weeks. We get together, and then we'll start talking about it. These are things you can do. Now, I want to give you an example, and then they're going to sing, and I'm going to pray. Tom has discipled me in worship. He's discipled me in life. He's discipled me on a lot of issues that really, really hurt and caused pain. But I learned a lot of, a lot of good stuff from him. But here's one thing about discipleship that I learned that made me mad, but it's a key principle. When you're discipling someone or you're being discipled, you are following you are not saying, hey, Tom, guess what? Um, I noticed that you and your wife are fighting, and uh, I don't think you should do that because the word says blah, 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 blah. You, not that, there might be some truth in that, but if you are being discipled, you are following. Jesus said, come follow me. I'm standing in his, in his garage that I'm building one day, and we're having this conversation, and I remember saying, and it's, it's funny now that I think about it, I'm sure you can laugh about it too. But I said, I said, Tom, I, man, I really feel like there's some stuff that I can give to you, that I can offer you. I mean, I'm an important dude. 
I mean, that's not what I said, but that was what my heart was thinking. Tom, I'm important. I know some stuff. I got some stuff that I can share with you because there's some great aspects that I have that you need. And I feel like, like we should be, this should be one-on-one. You know what he said? You're wrong. No. <laughs> I'm sure it was pretty close to that. And I'm like, I was mad. Anger starts to rise up in me. I'm like, who, you think you're better than me? That's what I was thinking. But he goes to say, he's like, look, our relationship is not that way. He said, the way the Lord has shown it is I'm discipling you and you are following me and I have stuff to offer you. All right? What I heard that I didn't want to admit is, Mike, you need me and you need God and your life's in a mess and you're not really at any point really to give out too much anything to anybody. You know? Now, I could have, what he could have said also was, but you could be discipling someone else. Now, at the time, I was my wife and my kids and I'm, you know, stumbling through it like a little baby. Okay, but it was truth, and he was right. And if you're being discipled by somebody, you follow. How many times, and and I'm going to challenge you to prove me wrong. Exactly. It's not a peer, side-by-side buddy relationship. Okay? Tell me, in the Word, where Jesus said, Hey, Peter, what do you think about that? What do you think I ought to do? Exactly. He did. He tried once, and he got rebuked. Any of the disciples. He never asked. Tell me, in in any of the other letters that Paul wrote to any of the other people, did he say, well, Timothy, by the way, uh, why don't you send me a letter back, and I've got this issue that I'm dealing with. How would you handle that? He always said, I'm your spiritual father. I bless you with this. And he gives direction, and he tells. Now, he also encourages, but he's not asking for their advice. Now, here's what happened uh, several months ago. Go ahead and stand. We're going to pray and, and worship. After years, all right, of this, Tom sets me down and we're talking. And he says, Mike, man, you can encourage people. I can get people to do stuff that he and Pastor Eric cannot. I'm not saying that to look at me. I'm saying there's a gift that is within me that I can encourage and rally troops. And they'll say, Tom could come up and say, Connie, or he'd say, hey, Dylan, hey, would you, we're going to go do this. Would you come and help me? He might say, uh, yeah, probably not. But I could go ask the same thing and say, hey, Dylan, man, how's it going? Uh, I'm getting ready to go do this one thing, um, and I could really use some help. Would you, I mean, you could really help me. Could you come? And he would probably say yes. And that's not to say anything bad about Tom, but that is to say there's a gift that, that I can, encouragement that is tied into the prophetic that I'll teach a message on later, but that he has realized, and he's like, after like seven years, how can you help us? Now, is he, am, am, am I like, the teacher, or the student is now the teacher? No. But see, he's still my father, but yet there's this aspect of, all right, there's been some fruit. You've stuck it out. You're growing. I need something you have. All right. Same way with Eric. In the same way of all of you, we've got to get our pride out of the way and be able to say, I'm going to follow you. It's going to hurt. I'm probably not going to like it a lot. But let's look and see how it's going to end up. Because we all can be discipling and we're all disciplers. All right. I'm going to encourage you. Get to encourage you. 
Do not leave. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to enjoy His presence. We're going to love on Him. We're going to get in His glory. Is your food, is Los Amigos, is Chili Poblanos, is Applebee's, is B-dubs, is your, is your meat in the oven really more than important than giving the person who created the universe some of your undivided attention? I know I went long. I appreciate you staying. But there's someone here who deserves your attention more than I deserve your attention. That's Father God. And I ask you to allow him to take the spiritual cataracts off your eyes. Say, come down and wipe them out so I can truly see your glory. Because today I'm deciding I'm going to disciple some people. I'm going to be discipled. I'm going to go to someone who actually started discipling and I got mad and I said, I don't want it anymore. I'm going to go repent and I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to say, I'm going to follow you. I give you my life. Allow the cataracts to come off today. Father God, creator of the whole universe. God of all wonders. As we sit here, we even feel your presence. And we know you are here. And you love us. You knew what you were doing when you called us out by name. You knew what you were doing when you whispered in our mother and father's ear, Hey, name that child this. You knew what you were doing. You love us. You chose us. You like us. I ask you, Father, to let these, these seeds from the Word sit in our heart and marinate and grow. And may they even right now be watered by the very worship that comes forth as we even worship and praise you. May you rain down upon these seeds and get in through the rocks. May it hit the soil of our heart, die, and start to grow supernaturally quick. That we will grab a hold of this and do Jesus as you did. You discipled. And that even in our worship, that we will make a choice to disciple others while we worship. That we will show others worship is a part of discipleship. That we need to give you our full and undivided attention. That we want to see your glory. That we are not afraid to walk in. And that we have all that we need in you. And we're going to take up our cross and follow you. Jesus, God, we love you. Holy Spirit, let your, let your power flow through this place. Let the prophetic rise up. Let encouragement rise up. And we give you all of our praise and worship. And we hold nothing back today because you deserve it. Amen. If we could have the ushers come forward at this time, we're going to receive our offering and then we're just going to move into worship. Ushers, if you would, come forth. or the placenta moves up and the placenta stays connected to her uterus. We want to continue to lift up Gary Tower and we want to continue to lift up uh, Esther 
God's been doing a wonderful thing in, in Gary and a miracle, and we thank the Lord for that. But we just, Father, as we begin to move into worship, we want to lift these up who have needs. And Father, we just thank you that by your stripes we are healed. So we just send your word of healing, God, to, to Chris as she's in the hospital, Lord, to Gary, God, to Esther, to Bob, to, Lord, there's just numerous people who need a touch from you today. And we just ask, God, that you would minister to them your word and your healing in Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we move into worship, Father, we want to love on you right now. Lord, we want to magnify your name. We want to make worship truly about you. So I encourage you, body of Christ, close your eyes, fasten your seatbelts, and let's worship God. Amen. Let's bless his name. Amen. <laughs> 